Mac Power Users, episode 618, Making Movies at Pixar with John Solomon. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett and I am joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? I'm good. It's December, which yes. is hard to believe. Yes. But, you know, feeling festive. I got, I went to the grocery store and I uh, was getting some stuff and they had a single little poinsettia, like in a tiny little thing. Okay. And so I have that on my desk. So it's very festive in oh, my that's office. That's very nice. I'm wearing my Christmas shirt, so we're and my red Apple Watch band, so we're good. Oh man, in the in the spirit. You bet, baby. You bet. I'm uh, my uh, my youngest is getting doing finals this week at UCLA, and then she's coming home, and I get her for like three weeks. I can't wait to have her around. We're gonna do all sorts of shenanigans together. That's good. Yeah, we put the Christmas tree up with ours. Yes, last night it was fun. We have a guest today, though. Um, we do. We've sh- been talking about Christmas. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry, I'm just, I'm getting wistful in my old age. Welcome to the show, John Solomon. Hi, guys. John, so you and I have a mutual friend who uh, who connected us, and John Gang is he is one of the white whales I've been trying to land for Mac Power users, basically since the beginning. John is an assistant editor at Pixar. Indeed, I am. Yeah, and I've always wanted to interview someone from Pixar. I know they do a lot of stuff. You know, Michael Johnston, kind of in our community, was was with them for so long, but now he's with Apple. So he's gone through the rainbow curtain, and so he can't talk to us. There you go. The the linen curtain. (laughs) Yes, yes. Very well-made linen curtain with no seams. And no buttons, um, but the uh, but John actually is working for Pixar, and he does a bunch of work on his Mac. Um, he has a bunch of cool tech tips. This will be useful to you, even if you don't do editing at Pixar. I think we've got some good stuff today, and uh, I just really appreciate you coming coming on the show, John. No, thank you. I'm I'm very flattered to be here. Honestly, we do have a, a couple of quick announcements, David, to, to knock oh, out. Yes. Uh, uh, we are at the tail end of our give relay campaign. It's a sale. So if you want to join the show and get access to more power users and a bunch of other cool stuff, you can go to giverelay.com and it is 22% off of an annual plan between now and December 17th. So when this show goes up, you'll have a few days left. Uh, so if you're interested in joining a relay show, or maybe you have someone in your life who would be, uh, giverelay.com is where you want to head. Yeah, with Mac Power users, you get ad-free um, episode every week, and you get additional content, usually something techy. But today, for more Power users, John and I both worked for Disneyland, and uh, we were both talking about some of the crazy things that happened to us while we were working there, just offline. And like, you know what? This is content. We're going to share this. So <laughs> we're going to have Disneyland War Stories. And... Steven's going to talk about, um, I don't know, something. I don't know, something. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, but yeah, that's going to be more power users today, and uh, we'd love to have you uh, join us. Uh, so, John, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, let's see. So, I am a assist- second assistant editor at Pixar. Um, I let's see. My film journey started in high school. Um, I took a film class and really, really enjoyed it. Um, at the time I thought I wanted to be a doctor when I grew up 
Um, and everyone kept telling me, why do you want to be a doctor? You seem to really enjoy computers and you love this film stuff. Why don't you do that? And no, 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 no. All the way through, I got into college, started college, was going to be a doctor and then went, you know what? I don't think this is for me. Let me try that film thing. And so applied to film school, um, got into film school at UCLA, um, from there graduated, got. Uh, a couple of friends gave me jobs. I was fortunate enough. I had a really good friend who worked for Disney Imagineering who hired me for a project right out of school. And I was super, that was like the dream to me was either Pixar or Disney. So I did that for a little while, um, worked at a cable company, worked on some TV shows for network TV, and then did some documentaries for Netflix, um, Hulu, uh, even did, uh, the show Deer on Apple, which is a docuseries. And then uh, in February 2020, I had interviewed at Pixar, got was told I got the job, and was supposed to start on April 4th of 2020. Um, a few things happened, and uh, mm -hmm. they pushed my start date back to May 4th. But I ended up moving up to the Bay Area to start at Pixar and ended up starting on May 4th, uh, just a couple weeks after everyone had brought all their machines home and was still figuring out where in their house they could hook up a monitor. And, uh, yeah, it's been pretty great so far. You know, it, it, you forget how much like that industry is a gig economy, you know, um, you know, you're relatively early in your career and you've already worked in so many different places. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've been talking to my coworkers because, you know, this is the first time I'm going to have like a real office where I can, I feel comfortable bringing in decorations and things, you know, when you're at somewhere for, six to nine months, you're like, eh, is it worth it to bring up like a poster to hang up? And by the time I get it hung up, it'll be practically time to take it down. Um, so this is, it's a nice change of pace to be at the same place, working with the same people for a much longer time. All right. So you get to put one poster in your new space at Pixar. What is it? Oh goodness. Um, pressure's on. Okay. This is the, the dirty secret is most of the shirts and posters and decorations in my house are Disney and Pixar. Because yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I was ever going to get to work there. So um, I have to do something a little less on the nose. So I might go. I have a poster of the John Wooden Pyramid of Success, which is. There you go. Um, hang, it's currently hanging in my apartment, but it might come with me. All right. Well, I do feel like like when you're like when you get to make the thing you love, it, there is like a like a, a line there. Like how into it can you really be like like and be cool? Like my, my wife, for example, she loves Disneyland so much, so much. I, you know, I, I would not want to have make her pick between Disneyland and me because I'm not sure how I'd fare. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> but you know, she loves it. She loves Disney culture and all this stuff. So she knows all the this stuff about like the original Mickey Mouse cartoon and where Walt Disney started and like mm -hmm. all this stuff. But when she worked there, she was always nervous about like like going too far down the stack because every, to everybody else it was like a job. You know, it's just like well, what right. What, are you a weirdo? What's wrong with you? You know? But, uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know anybody who would be that way about, I mean, let's just say like antique computers or yeah, <laughs> or anything like that. that yeah. That'd be weird. <laughs> Although if I was John and I was in my first day at Pixar, I would have a bit, I would just have the biggest poster of Wally -E I could find and I'd stick it right there. I, I, I would be shameless. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's already pretty bad. My uh, Because we've been working from home, whenever my cat shows up on a video call, everyone wants to know what her name is. And uh, I had named her Eve because she started out all white with big blue eyes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
I never thought, well, yeah, I'll work at Pixar and I'll have to explain her name to people. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Now people think I'm a super fan. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we named our, um, our robot vacuum Mo after the little vacuum in Wally. Oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah. The, um, I should, the, I uh, watch Wally now. <laughs> oh, isn't it good though? I'm sorry, man. Uh, anyway, the, uh, but, and we're going to get into detail about what assistant editor means and what you do and how you use your tech for that. But, um, before we do, John, what is your gear? I mean, what what's your stack these days of, of Apple tech? Let's see. I've got a 2020 MacBook Pro from work. Um, it's one with a touch bar. Um, apparently, I'm one of the only people on earth who doesn't despise the touch bar. I actually kind of like it. Uh, let's just talk about that for sure. a second because I, I don't think you're alone. Um, uh, I know that like super nerds want to hate on the touch bar, but I hear from so many listeners that really like it, you know, especially people who haven't like gone down the rabbit hole of keyboard shortcuts. The touch bar is a nice substitute, but how do you use it? Um, mostly. Um, I mean, it's great. Like uh, we'll get into it later, but I do use final cut 10 for certain projects. And so it's great for that. Um, it, it is great. Like, um, it is great if you don't want to have to learn keyboard shortcuts. Like when I started using Zoom, I could have learned the mute mic button and the turn off camera button, uh, keyboard shortcuts, but there's just a button right there that's dedicated to it. Um, honestly, I think it, if my one wish for the touch bar would have been rather than one continuous bar, it had been little buttons, like F buttons that just change that have little screens on them. That way you can kind of rest your fingers on them or you can, you know, uh, there will always there's always a button in that spot you know where it's going to be the i think mm-hmm. the every the buttons shifting around based on which application you're in um is what threw me off at first but over time i've done that um i'm using better touch tool to customize it for certain apps um i've got some keyboard maestro shortcuts that run from there i've got um the my calendar piped into there in just like a little button that i can just see what my next event is yeah yeah, it's just it's nice to have a little extra screen real estate almost. I never really thought about it as separate buttons, kind of like almost like a stream deck, but probably mm-hmm. done way better. Um <laughs> but the um but I do wish at least they had got around to like putting the haptic feedback. If if it just gave you some sort of feedback when you touch it, I think that would have been helped. cool. I think you can do that in better touch tool now. Oh of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had the realization the other day, so I just I built a mechanical keyboard and I uh, that prompted like a complete rearrangement everything between me and the base of my monitor and now my stream deck stepping off to the side is above my keyboard and I just realized that I've just recreated the touch bar just yeah. with yeah. better buttons uh like you said yeah. I mean I think the idea was okay it was just whatever happened internally at Apple where they just walked away from it in terms of development I mean that that is such an interesting story to me but yeah i've heard from a lot of people who david like you said who did use it i have found myself missing it when i'm on my notebook because of what i could do with it in better touch tool i've been able to recreate a lot of that with shortcuts and other tools but it did have its strengths i don't think it was a, a total loss from from that perspective Although I also feel like Apple is snake bit on this and they aren't going to try and innovate with the keyboard again for a very Mm -mm. long time. No, they're going to, they're going to freeze it in carbonite as like, this is our keyboard for the next 10 or 15 years. 
so you've got the MacBook Pro, but with with Pixar work, I imagine you're not doing like renders on your machine, right? How how does that work? No. So I am with my MacBook right now, uh, remote controlling a a one of the I think it's the 2013 Mac Pro, the trash can. Um, oh boy, that is at the studio that is running Avid. Um, so yeah, I've got you know screen sharing up uh, on one monitor and. Uh, that's where everything happens in terms of editing. Um, and then stuff does get rendered there, but it's actually done on the render farm, which is a bunch of much more powerful computers that are all doing distributed work um, to render frames for us. But when we're actually cutting, whether it's storyboards or once we get a shot back, we're cutting it in um, on our Macs, Mac Pros that are at Avid, or sorry, at Pixar right now. How is the latency on something like that? I mean, if you are, uh, you know, doing some fine grained stuff, does it feel like it's this remote machine and there's delay or, uh, in terms of interaction, the latency is actually not too bad. It's when you're trying to, you know, sync audio to video that it gets a little tricky. And for that, a bunch of the editors, um, themselves who, uh, have to deal a lot more with the sync. Uh, the issue of sync are using these things called Teradicis, which are actually just remote controlling um, Windows machines um, that are at Pixar. But the latency on them is much lower, so they can get really, really fine-tuned and get the exact sync they want. I actually have one of the Teradicis that I can that they will let me use, but uh, it, it's on Windows, and you know, it, there's a there's enough different even in Avid uh, between Windows and Mac that I just I feel faster even using the remote. Uh, Mac machine than I would with the Windows machine. So that that Mac Pro is just sitting in a cubicle, or yeah, mine's or... literally sitting. <laughs> uh, I, I found out from a coworker, it is literally sitting on the floor in the middle of my cubicle because <laughs> they built a new cubicle for me for when I start, but they haven't had time to put in a desk or monitors or anything. So it is. It looks like an Apple ad, <laughs> like it's just sitting there by itself, just as Johnny intended. Exactly. That's fantastic. You know, it's probably whispering. If you listen to it really closely, it's probably saying, put up a Wally poster. <laughs> uh, a Wally you poster. say that. It's funny. Um, a coworker was actually in the office and said, hey, John, are you, are you listening to some dialogue right now? And I said, yes. What's going on? And he said, well, it's playing out of the tiny little speaker that's inside <laughs> the Mac Pro. And I oh, can no. hear it throughout the office. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. <laughs> that's not a good speaker. No, it's not. I remember when they announced the new Mac Pros, uh, you know, at WWDC, Stephen and I were fortunate enough to get invited to that. And they had like the the room that you go into where they've got all the samples. And this was right after Michael Johnson, who he was one of the guys at Pixar originally who helped kind of set up that server farm and was just, you know, I think he's a PhD in mathematics, really smart guy. But he eventually joined Apple. You know, Apple has a team now of creative professionals to make sure that their computers can satisfy them. Michael has joined Apple. So he was there with the new Mac pro and he had, at the time they were working on toy story three and he had the, one of the loaded Mac pros, probably more loaded than yours, Steven, but he was running the, I guess, quote unquote, the set for toy story three, you know, like the, the little town with the carnival and the Ferris wheel and the, the gift shop. If you've seen the movie, you know, it was the movie set. And I'm like, Michael, isn't that something you would put on a server? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, 
that you're running it on a Mac Pro. He's like, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, they, they got those Mac Pros so powerful that they can they can actually do some of the server stuff that, that Pixar does now. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get my hands on one at some point someday soon. Oh, no, don't. You don't want one. You, <laughs> you want to wait a year. You want to say, oh, guys. <laughs> Ideally, hey. yes. But, you know, I'll, I'll take what I can get. Whatever they want to give me, I'm happy yeah. to try out. Yeah. So you're... It sounds like you're pretty Mac centric for work, uh, work and personally. I mean, uh, I still have my, my personal laptop is a 2013 MacBook pro. Um, I've got an iPhone 13 pro max that I got this year that I'm super happy with. Um, apart from, I have the most, I had the most devastating thing happen yesterday. I got my first ever scratch on an iPhone screen and I'm still a little shaken up about it, but I, I think I will survive. Um, and then I've got, I always have on my desk, my iPad air two, um, which right now is just running. Most of the time is just running Google calendar. It's basically almost like a desk calendar for me. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting uh, use. I mean, a lot of people, especially if you're using a certain system, iCloud, Google would have you to remember that the iPad apps are always talking to the cloud. So you don't even need to run them as a remote screen to still be very useful when you're sitting in front of your Mac. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, I I use the iPad for other things. Like I pull up scripts on there. I can annotate annotate the scripts and whatnot. But, yeah, it's, it's just handy to just have an always-on extra screen. You know, the Air 2 is, ju- I think, just too old to be used with. Um, I'm blanking on the name. Sidecar. The, sidecar, thank you. Yeah. Um, it's just a little bit too old, so I can't do that, but it's still, you know, uh, it'd be nice to put a, you know, Safari window on there from my desktop with Google Calendar, but I've got the Google Calendar app and it does the same thing. So why not just do that? Yeah. Have you ever considered using Sidecar with your work machine? Can I do that with the iPad Air 2? I think the iPad Air 2 is the limiting factor there. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. It, it'll run 15, but some of the cool features have, you know, slowly been <laughs> removed. Yeah iPad Air 2's that one's been around a while. It um, has, but it still runs pretty quickly. See, I think that there's a thing about this, um, and we're just getting the Apple Silicon Max. But to me, the the model is the iPad. You know, the iPad has basically a single system on a chip. They've integrated everything into the chip on that iPad. If you open one up, there's not much in there but a single chip and a battery and and some speakers. And that's now is fundamentally what a Mac is. In fact, the lower end Macs are using the same system on a chip as the high end iPad and iPads seem to run forever. I mean, there's just so little that can break in them, you know, particularly the fanless ones. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I I feel like we're going to have that happen to these new Macs. I feel like there's going to be a lot of people that are going to use these Macs a really long time. Am I being too optimistic, Stephen? I don't know. I just feel like this is going to make uh, Macs more reliable in the long run. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we already see that in the Intel Macs even, right? Like, people are running around. I mean, <laughs> John there is working at a professional movie studio on a 2013 Mac Pro, right? Like, that's yeah. already been the case for a while. I think it's just going to continue to get better. Yeah, I, but I just feel like a lot of the little things that would take a Mac out are not going to be a problem anymore because they're just not there the way they're engineered now. But the, um, anyway, at the, we'll see, we'll have to put a footnote on this and check back in 10 years. I'm going to agree with you, David. I think that, you know, one of the biggest things I think that kills computers is heat. And the fact that these new 
M1 chips seem to not generate that much heat. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, uh, especially a lot of, you know, people who aren't super nerds, you know, they put their, they're sitting at home. It's Christmas time. They're putting their laptop on top of a blanket on their lap, not realizing, hey, you're restricting the airflow. You're creating a nice little envelope to melt your MacBook. And if your M1 isn't generating any heat, then that's great because now you can put it on your, I'm not recommending people do it, but you know, if they do put it on a blanket, it's not going to kill it quite as fast at least. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and to add to that, the MacBook air, which is the one they probably sell to 95% of the people doesn't even have Vince on the bottom anymore. So I think they designed it around, use it on top of your jeans or a blanket, but we're still not recommending that. No, don't do that. Don't let friends do that. But uh, I think you will, uh, I think you'll probably, I think you'll find that these, uh, especially like the lower end ones are going to last a very long time. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password, the password manager that Steven and I both use every day. Head over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps and get 20% off. 1Password is the easiest way to store and use strong passwords. With it, you just log into sites and fill forms securely with a single click. The idea is really simple. You just need 1Password to use the application. That's your strong master password. And then 1Password does all the additional work for you. It creates new passwords for every website you go to with complex and different passwords. So if you get compromised at one website, you're not compromised at all websites. And everything is super easy because you only need your one password. But they have so much more than that. They have one password for families, which is the easiest and safest way to share logins, password, credit cards, and more with the people that matter the most. You can use it for your family, but it's also trusted by companies like IBM. And the folks at 1Password really care about your online security, so much so that they've introduced a new service called 1Password University. It's a free set of online security resources for anybody. They've got video courses teaching you things like how to use 1Password for business or how to create a culture of security so people are more safe and protect your private passwords. Or they show you how to do item sharing without compromising yourself. All of this stuff is at onepassword.university, and it's all free for you to go in and view. They have a free video there about how passwords are actually cracked, and I learned a ton in it. I'd recommend going to watch it if you're concerned about your online security. I have been a paying customer of 1Password now for probably a decade, and I love using it. I've got my whole family using it with a family plan. And it really helps keep me safe and secure online. You should check it out yourself. Uh, You want to protect yourself online and 1Password is there for you. So just head over to onepassword.com slash MPU. Make that in all caps to get that 20% off. And start protecting yourself, your coworkers, and your family today. Thank you, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. All right, we've been teasing about Pixar now. Uh, let's get into it, John. So tell us, you know, what is it that you're doing there? And and let's walk through the workflow. All right. Um, so I got hired to work on a project called uh, Win or Lose. Um, it's going to be Pixar's first ever long-form animated series. Um, it's coming out in fall 2023, and it's going to follow a middle school softball team that's uh, during the week leading up to their championship game. And the fun twist on it is that each episode is going to be told from the perspective of a different character. 
it's been really, really fun to work on. Um, I'm on such a great team. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I can't tell you much more about it, but sure. I promise you that you will get to see more hopefully soon. Um, if people really are really, really curious, there's uh, on Disney Plus Day, Pixar put out a little video on Disney Plus of some of our upcoming projects and um, our directors are in that video and they're talking a little bit about the project as well and you'll get to see some art from it. In terms of Pixar as a whole, so um, the overall pipeline is kind of interesting compared to live action because in live action, you know, we send out a crew and the actors and they all go film something and then they come back and say, here, here's the footage editor, get started. Um, at with animation, you the editorial department starts almost as soon as the script is written. We start recording what we call scratch dialogue, which is just we get people from the studio to play various characters and just record a version. And people start drawing storyboards and giving them to us. And we cut those storyboards to the dialogue, the, the temporary dialogue, just to see, hey, is this working at all? Is, you know, uh, is this character reading correctly? Is, you know all these different things. So we get started pretty early on in the process, especially compared to live action. And then as we're going, editorial continues to be involved. So that's so, you know, it, it makes sense because I mean, it's ex extraordinarily expensive in man hours and money to render and, and do final art on these scenes. Right. So like, yes, where if you're out with live action and, you know, you've got somebody like, let's say, you know, um, Tom Cruise or Stephen Hackett that it's hard to, <laughs> you know, get them. I always confuse them. Yeah, they look we're so basically similar. interchangeable. Yeah. And you say Tom slash Stephen, just let's try this a couple different ways. That's like, that takes all of, you know, 30 seconds, whereas animation to make 30 seconds takes, you know, what, three months, you know? So exactly. And like, yeah. one of the things we say about animation is you, we get nothing for free. Like, you know, you go to a location hmm. uh, on a shoot, you know, you go to a, you talk to a supermarket and talk them into letting you film in there. There are aisles stocked with food products. We have to build every single one of those food products, have to create a label for it, have to, you know, build the shelving that it's sitting on. We have to create, like, get the sound for what a supermarket sounds like. Whereas you can go into a grocery store and you need somebody scanning, you know, cans of soup. You can just scan the can of soup and it makes a little beep sound and you're done. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You must have like just like archives of products and things uh, all over the place. You know, I mean, I was thinking about that when Michael showed me that Toy Story 3 set. It's like in that little uh, antique store. Every single thing in there, from the cobwebs to the, you know, to the saxophone had to be built. Yeah, so everything has to be built. So it's much easier if we can just have a story artist draw a general, like, a very close representation of what we want to communicate, you know. Yeah. In our case, a, you know, a bat, uh, like, a close-up of a bat hitting a ball. Great. Like, that is much faster than having somebody animate it and make all all of make them uh, elements for it and animate the bat moving. It's just faster. And we get the idea. And you know what, if we decide, you know what, we don't need that shot or we decide, Hey, this whole scene isn't needed. We don't feel as bad going, you know what? We lost 20 storyboards. That was some work that we did, but we're okay getting rid of it because it doesn't work for the story. Hmm. So, so you've got your, your laptop wired into a very lonely Mac pro <laughs> 
sitting in uh, in Pixar, and hopefully you'll get there soon. I, I know we were talking; you were hoping to get back there. But so you've got you're working from home. You've got Avid running remotely, and so what are you doing exactly with all those assets? So um, the assets don't really uh, come to us. The assets yeah. are something that all the so one of the steps is layout. Layout is the first time that those two D storyboards turn into a 3d world so yeah layout is kind of like rough animation like there are some the set is built but you know there's not as much detail we haven't sure. lit it we haven't you know not everything has textures on it um and you know when the layout artist is working you know they're not going to lip sync the character's lips to the dialogue because we're still not sure if that dialogue is going to be final sometimes you're still working with the scratch version of the dialogue that somebody at Pixar recorded. Yeah. So we just get in terms of assets in editorial, we get the individual shots that, so lay we'll either get storyboards from the story artists, or once we start going to layout, they will send us just a shot that's built. Yeah. That they will also send us alternate versions. Like with, like sometimes they'll change the lenses that they want to use. Sometimes they'll go here. I gave you this version in a wide shot and a, extremely wide shot or a close-up or whatever they want to give us um so we went in editorial we don't really like i can't move the there's you know uh i can't change the color of somebody's hair i can't you know move the character six inches to the right that's something where we go back to layout and they give us that yeah you're just constructing the the uh, how it all comes together just like an editor right i mean yeah we're i guess like uh it's almost like you know they hand us a bunch of legos that are or Lego toys and blocks. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I know you get in trouble there. John. Exactly. I don't want to get careful. email, please. Yeah. Um, they hand us a bunch of Lego that are a certain color and a certain shape and a certain size. And we try and build something out of that. And we can still go back to them and go, Hey, you know, do you have a two by two? That's bright yellow. That would really, really help us. Hmm. And they can hand it back to us, but we don't have the tool. Like editorial doesn't really have the tools to carve a yellow two by two brick by hand. Sure. Sure. You know, one of the things that a lot of people deal with this, no matter what it is they do with their Macs, but it's like asset management. You know, if you've got a lot of media or files you need to manage, uh, I would imagine that is like a whole thing for you guys. I mean, how do you keep track of all the Lego? <laughs> well, there, there's a handful of ways. So the the physical files um, all live on, for the most part, there's uh two halves of like two servers basically one is where the original files and all the original things live and then i think david wayne has talked in the past with you guys about avid and avid has its own server basically that is just avid's media so uh what is it kind of like it's kind of like a i guess uh, the closest thing would be the you could have on your like external ssd you could have a photo that you import into photoshop and then you save a psd file to your desktop uh, those are two things that are kind of related, but there's a copy somewhere and a copy somewhere else. That's kind of how it works. So the server that Pixar's big server has the original shot media and all those things. And then we import it into Avid, which puts it on our Avid server. Um, in terms of managing that media, Avid does a pretty good job of managing media internally. We have like separate drives, one for shots, one for, you know, sound effects, one for storyboards. Um, and then on the server, it's a lot of uh, just systems that have been put in place, like that where everyone has the same. So even if you go work on a different project at Pixar, 
you'll know where the storyboards are on the main server because everyone puts them in the same place. Now, um, so in an ideal world, you you start putting these storyboards and temp shots together with, with temp dialogue, and then the folks at Pixar can look at how it's shaping up and decide like if they want the scene or they don't, or they want to change the scene. How long does that process kind of take before you get to the point where you feel like, okay, now we can go to the next level and start really putting money and time into some of these shots? Um, good question. Everything takes a lot longer in animation. Um, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, uh, you have to animate someone blinking. I mean, everything, right? <laughs> oh, even just, you know, even in the storyboard stage, you know, like, um, the first time an editor handed me a seat in and said, Hey, would you like to take a stab at editing this? I started working and realized, Oh my goodness. You know, like the storyboards, the storyboards are very thorough. Um, so they will like give you like three drawings for, you know, somebody swinging a baseball bat because they'll be like, okay, so it's over their shoulder. And then there's one of it like mid swing. And there's one of like the follow through. Yeah. And you know, when you're editing uh live action, you've got your full shot is one piece of media. Like a take of a shot is one piece of media. So if I want to rearrange the shots, I just pick up that shot and put it after another shot. Yeah. Uh, in terms of storyboards, you've got a, you've got three shots now to deal with just for the same action. That was one shot in live action. And you get to one of the fun things as an editor is you get to determine the timing of that. Like you yeah. can have it over their shoulder for a really long time and then very quickly have them swing. You can show that the swing is a little slower by making that middle shot just a little bit longer. Um, so that's one of the really fun, but challenging parts that, um, comes out of editing animation as opposed to live action. Um, so because everything takes a lot longer, you know, uh, I started on this project in spring 2020 and we're not coming out till fall 2023. That gives you a little bit of an idea of just how long we keep refining the story and figuring things out. And, you know, sometimes something that works great in storyboards doesn't quite work in layout. Like we need to, Oh, you know what? This character in storyboards ran across the screen in half a second. It's going to take them. Once we like put an actual character in 3d space, you need a second and a half for them to run across the screen. Yeah. And I would imagine that like, because that's some very fine edits, like, you know, taking an image and trying to adjust timing on it, that you've probably got pretty good at all the tricks for avid. Um, yes and no. Uh, okay. <laughs> avid is one of those apps that, uh, it never feels, I, I don't feel like there's anyone on earth who can claim they've mastered Avid. You will never master Avid. There's always some little trick. Um, I love Avid, but I also, I think a lot of editors have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. It does, especially on the Mac, feel sometimes like they read the human interface guidelines and went, okay, but some of these are just suggestions, right? Like, we shouldn't <laughs> yeah. actually follow all of these. This is a lot of rules. Yeah. Um. So there are certain things that, like, I literally just learned, like, holding down the option key while doing certain things. There's no menu item. There's no documentation that you would know that this does this, but yeah, just hold down option and hit the number one and it'll do something completely different than what you've been expecting this whole time. So yeah, Avid is, Avid is a little bit tricky, but you do learn. And I think that's one of the nice things. And one of the things I'm looking forward to being back in the studio is sometimes you see someone else working and go, Hey, wait, how did you just do that? And they go, yeah, Oh yeah, it's sure. just, you, you hold down option shift command and, click three times in the upper right corner and it does this. 
Yeah, um, I, I hate when software has like secret knowledge involved with it. You know, <laughs> I mean, usually when it comes from Apple, it's because nobody approved it and they just put it in, don't document it, so it's there for them. But uh, <laughs> I get the impression with Avid, it's it's a little more systematic than that. It is. Um, but I do. I, that said, I do love Avid. Like I. It, when I was in high school, I learned on Avid. That was my first time editing. And I was a big, like, I didn't have a Mac, but I loved Macs and thought they were the coolest thing and loved them and complained vehemently about Avid's purple and black color scheme and how it totally clashed with the Mac and how could anyone live like this. And now, <laughs> having used it, I go, yeah, the design is not my favorite, but man, is it powerful. Boy, can it do a lot of things. And it is very it is pretty darn stable compared to other editing apps i've used now editors to me are some of the people that buy the weirdest gadgets for their macs <laughs> you know right you see these editing stations they got all these big dials and buttons and mm-hmm. like there's a whole cottage industry of editing hardware for for your mac or your pc if you're doing um big edits do you are you into any of that stuff or are you just a keyboard and mouse guy I'm mostly a keyboard and mouse guy. I literally last week finally broke down and brought, bought a Stream Deck. I have joined the cult of Stream Deck. All right. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. I'm yeah. very, it's literally been on my wish list for, it It was a thing on my wish list pre-pandemic. And then the prices on them shot up as soon as the pandemic hit because everyone wanted to set up their home office. And yeah. so I've been sitting, 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 and the price finally dropped on them. So I joined the club. But yeah, I'm I've got a Logitech mouse with just, you know, a handful of buttons. Um the keyboard I've got an I have in plugged into my laptop is one of the Apple extended keyboards, the old um white and silver ones. Um okay. so I've got those extra F keys at the top that are super yeah. handy. That's what I was basically using before the Stream Deck for a bunch of shortcuts, but yeah. Uh not too many knobs and dials. A a couple of the editors I work with use the trackball mice um some use vertical mice for rsi but yeah uh i think a lot of us uh tend to keep it pretty simple yeah i tried once one of those dials those jog dials mm-hmm. uh, because i do so much editing but a lot of mine is screencast editing and and some logic and final cut editing and but i found like i'm just so used to the keyboard shortcuts that my fingers are just faster with that than the big dial I ended up sending it back it wasn't wasn't useful. Steven, have you done any of that stuff? I know you do some video editing. I tried the like the Griffin iMate uh, a while back. It was just like a knob and you can set it to do different things in different apps. But yeah, it didn't really stick with me. I mean, I have a trackpad on the left, keyboard in the middle, a mouse on the right. So already have and now a stream deck. So like I've got plenty of uh plenty of input I feel like. But yeah, there, there's so many things out there you can hook up. I mean, it's it's pretty wild. John, I did have I did have one question about about video editing software. So you you talked about Avid and that I I learned Avid in high school and then uh you know, I use Final Cut now. So you've worked sort of uh several different places in the industry like is there a sort of default and then you move to another program for certain types of work? Like what's the landscape look like in terms of this pro software? Right now, it's still, I think Avid is probably, in Hollywood at least, um, and on major projects, I think Avid is still pretty dominant. And I think a lot of that comes from the editors, especially, like you know, 
if you're an editor right now, you've probably been editing for at least 10 years and the other software around Avid has changed a decent amount over the time, but Avid has made changes over time and improved and things, but it still kind of has the same core to it. And um, I think a lot of times editors kind of dictate what software, excuse me, what software will be used on the project. Um, so there are definitely projects being done in Adobe Premiere right now that are professional projects that um, are TV shows that you've probably seen on TV right now. But I think Avid is still kind of the default. Like you, it's kind of assumed when you're getting hired that it's unless they mention it's probably Avid. Okay. Then uh, Premiere Final Cut is still I like it and I ha- I have things that I love doing with it. I have things that are challenging to do with it. Um, and I can see why it's not used as much for TV and movies, but um, it still isn't really hasn't. I think there's editors are. Uh, a kind of picky bunch. And so when Apple did something that they didn't like, I think a lot of them took it personally and uh, continue to not even want to try it out. Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing to me having spoken to different people on this show over the years, how far reaching the effects of Apple sort of rebooting final cut now, what, 10 years ago, like it's been a long time, Mm -hmm. but how they're still sort of dealing with the, the fallout of that. Yeah, there's a, still a lot of like when I tell people, oh, yeah, I do some projects in Final Cut 10, they go, really? And I go, yeah, <laughs> like it's it's not like, you know, some people act as if it's, you know, it just reformats your hard drive the second you install it. Like you think they that it had done something horrible to their family. But, you know, it yeah, there are some things it's not the best at. I will be the first to admit that. But there's lots that it does well. I'm, honestly, you know, I think a lot of editors just got really annoyed that one day Apple said, hey, you can buy Final Cut 10. Oh, and you can't buy Final Cut 7. If they had just said, hey, you can still buy it. It's not really supported. We don't advise it. But mm-hmm. if your computer, whatever, you buy a new machine that needs a new license and you've got like a whole, you know, you've got a 10-person edit team at your studio or ad agency or whatever, and you just need one more license, yeah, we'll sell it to you. Do you think that their intention was to just kind of write off the high-end edit market and go after prosumers i mean it's just such a weird move right i mean they had to know that they were going to make a bunch of people mad i don't know i think apple's pretty smart and i i've learned over the years to kind of trust apple a little more like sometimes you know i run into something on the mac and i go oh, i have to like automate my way around this and it's so annoying and then like the very next version it's fixed and it turns out it was just something you know, I remember the story, it was probably like six or seven years ago that it turned out like the remote app on iOS was one guy had written the whole thing during what sounded like his lunch break and had, you know, put it out. And uh, that's why I didn't get an update for like three years as he was busy with other projects. So I have to imagine Apple wasn't strategically going, hey, we'd like to upset all of you. Um, I have to imagine, I, I think... I've had I've gotten to know some younger editors uh, like kids in film school and stuff who have who did start with Final Cut 10. And I think it is an easier place to start. It just requires a slightly different paradigm. And I think that paradigm is in conflict with the way you edit in Avid or if you started with Avid or if you started with Premiere or even Final Cut 7. There are some conventions that are uh, common across all three of those that Final Cut 10 goes, hey, what if we think about this differently? Yeah, I mean the magic, um, the magic 
what do they call that? Timeline? Magnetic, magnetic timeline. Yeah. Because that's the way I use it. And I'm probably like one of those young, young folk because I really only done serious editing in Final Cut 10. And then when I try to use a different editor and the magnetic timeline doesn't work. And for listeners, what that means is with a nonlinear editor in Final Cut, if you take a clip, you know, Daisy and I are making these, these silly Disneyland videos. If I just take a clip and move it in the timeline, it, like the timeline shrinks and grows around it. It like opens up a slot and you can just drop it in. Whereas with traditional um, editing software, that's, that wasn't the thing. But for me, that, that that one feature almost makes it worth it. But I want to talk about Final Cut more later. We've got we've got some more on this. This episode of MPU is made possible thanks to Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience and is used by some of the biggest creators on the web, including us here at Relay FM. We use it to generate sustainable recurring income while diversifying our company's revenue stream. You've heard us talk about Memberful a lot over the years, and it is the platform that we chose to build our membership program atop. They make it super easy to generate that extra revenue stream and deliver bonus content to our members. One of the new features that I'm absolutely loving is their newsletter feature. So Memberful has lots of uh, plugins where they can go in and sync data with, in this case, other uh, newsletter providers but now they've built it into their platform. And so I can send newsletters to groups of members or all of our members very easily, and they all live on the web. If you're logged into your Relay Memberful account, you can see them all there as regular web pages. And that's super cool. Memberful is always improving their platform, and it has been a joy to use now. We've been on it for years and years. So maybe you're already producing content that relies on advertising or other means of income. Well, Memberful makes it easy to diversify, and they give you everything you need to run a membership program, including custom branding, gift subscriptions, Apple Pay support, free trials, private podcast, and tons more. Like I said, you can now send paid email newsletters directly through Memberful without needing to connect to a third-party email provider. But if you do want to use a third-party provider, Memberful has a whole selection of partnerships. So if you're in the Relay F members Discord, that runs through Memberful because they've extended their program to work with a bunch of other really cool things on the web. If you're a content creator, Memberful can help monetize your passion. Get started for free at Memberful. That's M-E-M-B-E-R-F-U-L. Memberful.com slash M-P-U. There's no credit card required to get started. That's Memberful.com slash M-P-U. Go there now to check it out. It could be the start of something really exciting. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of the show and Relay FM. One of the things you guys do is you talk and work together as a team. And one of the things you told me that was interesting is that your collaboration software is all based on Google technologies. Yeah, a lot of um, our especially document-based things are done through Google Docs, um, Google Calendars. Uh, are like the calendar system we use throughout the studio. So, you know, you can even, if you want to find out if a room is available, you go, you can go through Google calendar and see, Hey, is that room available? You can, you know, one of the really cool features that I love about Google calendar is being able to, especially if you're all, you know, in a organization, you can go, Hey, what is somebody else's availability? Like I want to schedule a meeting and I know, uh, you know, 
Michael and Carrie need to be there and I need to be there. I can type in Michael and Carrie's name and say, find a time and it'll show me all three calendars side by side and go, okay, you guys all have conflicts between 10 a.m. and noon and then you're all free between noon and one, but that's lunch. And then one to one thirty, one of you has a meeting. One of you has a meeting from one thirty two, but then you're all free from two to four p.m. So how about somewhere between two and four p.m. is super handy. Um, but yeah, we use sheets as well um, to track a lot of um, things. Like we have a big dialogue tracking spreadsheet right now that tracks. You know, we have to. There's several steps in recording dialogue that are somebody has to record. Like we have to actually get the talent. We have to first know. Do we need, there are 10 lines to record for the character of John. We need to keep track of that. And then somebody has to go, okay, did we record those yet? Did we, what's called process it, which is basically prepare it for the editors so they can use it. Um, has it been sent off to the editor? Like, do, have the editors cut it in now? And um, have the directors actually looked at that dialogue now and seen, yeah, that one works, that one doesn't. Um, so we use that. Um we uh, a thing that is not just specific to Pixar that I've used Google Sheets for at almost every job is uh, assistant editors have to put together what's called a music cue sheet, which is basically just, hey, what's what music tracks were used and from what time to what time in the show are they used and what time? What is the time code of the original song? Like, you know, we started the song 30 seconds in because there's a really long intro. So we used 30 seconds of the song song starting from 30 seconds to one minute and it's in episode one of the show. Um, so you can out of avid export what's called an EDL and edit decision list. And you can import that uh, if you export it as like a tabbed um, text file, you can just import that straight into Google sheets and it will create columns with the artist name, the, track name the time that it starts the time that it ends all this information and it's super great um for doing that um yeah we use google uh and all our email runs on gmail so i've got a lot of filters set up to you know mark so what you're saying up. is uh pixar collaboration runs the same way that relay fm collaboration <laughs> works exactly i'm you guys glad are we could pave the way for y'all yeah thank you for setting that up for us we really yeah. appreciate it yeah, any anytime. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, I have a related story to that joke. Can I can I tell you right now, Stephen? Please. The, the, uh, John literally made my week last week because he uh, when he started with Pixar, um, he they have a software stack, right? You know where you can get software, but he wanted Keyboard Maestro. Well, tell the story, John, about Keyboard oh, Maestro. Sure. Um, well, so, uh, we have like a little internal app store, which is super nice where we've got some licenses for certain software and you just click install and it installs with the registered license. Um, and I had seen other people using keyboard Maestro at the studio and went, Oh, that's nice. Can I get that? So you go put in a request and somebody talks to you on Slack and goes, Hey, you want a keyboard Maestro? Great. Here's uh, let me just, con can I control your computer for a minute? Sure. And they go and install it. And then I got this lovely message from him afterwards going, Hey, so now that you've got Keyboard Maestro, you might want to learn a little more about how to use it. And he sent me David's manuals on how to use it. The Max Sparky. Um, <laughs> I sorry, love David. that so give the, much. Give me the, the official field name. Guides. Yeah, field, field guide. guide. Thank you. I, I love that so much that, that my field guides. I one like years ago, someone told me that uh, someone in NASA was using my paperless field guide. And now Pixar is using my Keyboard Maestro field guide. My life is complete, man. I don't need to do any more. I'm good. 
Yeah, it's and it's been very helpful. I really recommend it for people. Yeah, that that made me very happy. Anyway, yeah, so that was a total side side thing, but I that made me happy. Uh, so you've got your setups with Google, but the um and you know the the features like calendar sharing is something you can do with Microsoft 365. You can do it with, to a lesser extent with iCloud. Um, but it's just interesting to me, like, you know, the company that has such deep roots with Apple, um, that they chose Google for their collaboration, but it also makes total sense because that what seems to me to be something where speed and, uh, multiple people working in the same document or on the same calendar is probably most important, you know, that you have something that's very reliable sync and Google is great for that. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of amazing when you see someone like you're in a meeting and someone says, oh, let me change that on the calendar. And you see it in real time. Like I have the iPad open and seeing it change and just suddenly jump to a later time is kind of amazing. Yeah. And then you do a lot with Google Docs as well. Yeah, we do uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, one of the biggest things we use in editorial with Google Docs is just having the director's notes in there. Um, so as they like watch a scene, they might give us a bunch of notes that they'd like things to change, that they'd like changes made to. And um, one thing that happens at Pixar a lot is multiple editors are working on the same project. Um, and sometimes, you know, one scene might be assigned to an editor, but sometimes, you know, the directors gave us a bunch of notes and we want to sh- turn them around as quickly as possible and show them back to the uh, directors, you know, tomorrow. So we'll basically like create a little checklist in Google Docs. And so editors will all be able to see all the notes together. And then one will start on the sequence and go, OK, I addressed like these four notes, but I've got a meeting now. Can you take over and hand it off to the next person who can now see, OK, those ones are addressed. Let me take care of these other six ones and then. The third editor can go, oh, great. Now there's only two left for me to do, and I'll take care of those, and we're done. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, a follow-up question on the editorial process from the first segment is, I, you know, you explain that a lot of this is done ahead of time to save money and time. But are is there a point where you as an editor is done because they've chosen how everything's going to come together? Or I would assume there's still some editing being done up until the very end. How does that work? Yeah. Oh, I guess I never quite finished this. So we're one of the first departments to start. We're also one of the last departments to finish. So one thing that happens quite a bit is, you know, um, especially once stuff gets into animation, the animators might go, Hey, you know what? I, this line of dialogue can, I shifted it over just a couple of frames later so that I had time for their facial expression to change right before they start delivering the line. And we have to then the editors have to then reflect that change on in our avid for when we send everything off to the final mix and final color and everything, we have to keep track of all that and make sure that it gets reflected correctly in our version. Um, Otherwise we're going to cut in, you know, that version and, the character's lips or the character's facial expression won't match the dialogue that's in our version. We'll, we'll just get the visual of the shot back from animation and it won't quite match what we're doing. Um, we've got some internal, you know, software that keeps track of all those things, but yeah, we end up making changes pretty far down the line. You know, as you progress, the types of changes you can make become smaller and smaller. Like, yeah, we can cut out a line pretty easily, but adding a line is more difficult or adding five shots is a big deal later down the line versus that's why we try and really nail things when we're in the storyboard 
phase of the project because it's much easier and much faster and much cheaper to do there. Yeah, there must be some great war stories, um, you know, from the old days, the early days of Pixar, where like somebody added an eyebrow tilt and like the dialogue went off for the rest of the movie or something. <laughs> I'm sure that like these are hard learned lessons. Oh, yeah. All it takes is somebody adding one frame to one thing and not uh, and like one of the things that you have to be really careful of when you're editing in general, like in Avid is you can remove something, you know, on one track of audio and have it shift one frame back and the rest of the movie will now be out of sync. But just on that one track, the dialogue will all be in the right place, but all the sound effects are one frame off now, for instance. So you got to be really careful. But there's also, you know. You're trying to also keep track of what was the director's intent. Like, what did the director want? Like, we've got two versions of this line now. Like, there's one shot, and they did two different lines that this character can say. And animation has one version. Layout has one version. What is Somebody has to say, what is the actual true canonical version? And uh, editorial kind of tries to keep that canonical version of the movie or the show or the project in our Avid so that if something comes up, we go, hey, this is the version. Trust us. Are there any tools to help automate that sort of thing? Like I'm thinking about if you're a developer or a writer, you may use something like Git, right? Where you can have branches and push and pull things. Does Avid yeah. have that sort of functionality? No, Avid doesn't. And it's <laughs> a, a friend asked me early on, like a developer friend went, guys, why don't you guys have like Git or something like version, yeah, control, version control where control. you can pull back, you know, go like, hey, that's that little bit of the sequence. Just pull it back into the current version. And I went, you know, it's a great idea. It's I, I don't know how you would do that, but it, it sounds super cool. Um, maybe someday, you know, hopefully before I retire, somebody comes up with something cool like that. But uh, right now, no, unfortunately. There, Avid does save a version of your work every few minutes and stuff into what's called the attic, but it's just, you can go back into it and pull out, you know, oh, this, and we also do daily backups. So, you know, if an editor wants a version from two weeks ago, great, we can just pull that right up and here you go. But uh, no, there's no real like, hey, merge these two versions. And Avid has so much momentum that it'd be very difficult to like do the ground up rebuild. You'll get the same kind of bounce back Apple got if you do that, you know. Yeah. The um, I I have in my imagination, and I, this isn't an Apple Tech question, but I got to ask you anyway. It, it, when you guys finish like a shot and say, okay, now let's render this, you know, in final quality. In my mind, like there's a room somewhere that's like full of like old fashioned steam engines and like <laughs> guys that are walking around with like you know towels around their necks, super sweaty. And all these servers like cranking this stuff out. Is that is it that big of a deal when you do the final render? I mean, is it the kind of thing where you leave it running over the weekend, or has has computers got to a point where that happens pretty fast? Good question. Um, keep in mind that my show has not. Uh, yeah, you maybe you haven't of, got there yet. Yeah, yeah, we true. haven't. I don't think we've rendered a final shot quite yet. Um, from what I know, though, it does go to a room full of computers that do take a good amount of time to render just a single final frame. You know, like um, sometimes uh, there there are varying degrees to which you can speed up a render. Like one thing you can do for, you know, when we get a layout shot is you can render just every other frame. It's not quite the same and it's not going to look as fluid and smooth. But if you are in a jam and really need this shot to just see, is this going to work? Yeah. You basically reduce your render time in half. 
but it does take hours and hours to do every single frame. And one of the interesting things I, you know, uh, I went to Seagraph one year before I started working at Pixar, which is this big graphics convention. And Pixar was there and they were giving a little talk on RenderMan, their um, rendering software that is publicly available. Like people, other studios buy copies of it to render their things. And they were showing a chart of render times and I was expecting it to go down over time because computers get better. The problem is as the computers get better, we decide to get more ambitious and create crazier and more complicated things. And that takes more computing power. So render time kind of stays consistent over time. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. I mean, like you look at the water effects and the, you know, the, the hair effects and all that stuff. It just, I can only imagine the amount of compute power needed to do that. Yeah. But there is there is a actual it's called the render farm at Pixar, and it is where all those machines that you're wondering about. I don't think there are people running around uh, in a panic. I think it's actually a pretty quiet server room with just a lot of air conditioning and fans. But yeah, it's not quite as magical, but it's still the magic is happening inside the computers. Yeah. <laughs> but in, in my head, it's like the engine room of an old steamship. I'm just saying, you know. I'm just going to leave it at that. You know what? When I get to the studio, I will check for you and find out. Yeah. If it's not like an engine room of an old steamship, just tell me it is anyway. That's, <laughs> you know, I think the animation department is closer to what you're imagining. I think they, they have a lot of uh, crazy things in their section of the building. <laughs> yeah. I've seen some of that. Seen some of that. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Go to Electric. AI slash MPU and stop stressing over scattered devices and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a meeting. So you have a whole fleet of Apple devices and they used to be arranged neatly, carried to and from the office predictably, handed directly to your team members on day one. They were used precisely for work and securely connected to the office network. Now they're strewn across the land, and your company iPads, iPhones, and Macs are out there connecting to dodgy coffee shop Wi-Fi, mistakenly left behind on cross-country flights, moonlighting as a child's toy in playrooms turned work from home offices. What could go wrong? Thanks to Electric, you don't have to worry about what could go wrong. Electric gives you fully supported device management for Apple devices. Electric device management automates device provisioning and setup and remotely enforces security and compliance all across your fleet. It also gives you visibility into your device inventory and health at all times. Electric uses the world's leading mobile device management providers and tops it off with world-class IT support for fully managed devices. Over 100 IT specialists are ready to field your team's IT requests. So stop stressing over scattered devices. Head over to electric.ai slash MPU and get started. And just for taking a qualified meeting with their team, they'll give you a pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones. Once again, that's electric.ai slash MPU and get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones today when you schedule a qualifying meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. So we have touched on one of the the central app tenets of the show. You said the words keyboard maestro. I would love to know <laughs> how you're using it. Oh, keyboard maestro. Wow. Um, 
what, what don't I do with Keyboard Maestro at this point? Like, it, it's everything from a quick fix. Like, I have a folder of just like, you know what? I just needed to rename a bunch of stuff using a specific file form or a specific naming convention. And I just wrote something really quick that did it because it would have taken me 30 minutes to rename all 3,000 of these files in numerical order to, you know, uh, I try and keyboard my, or the way my brain works, I've found that over time, it's easier for me to kind of contain all my automations in one place rather than have text expander and keyboard maestro and better touch tool and what else automator and like all these other things. I was like, you know what, if I try and keep it all in one place, it'll be easier to move around between machines. It'll be easier. And I won't, uh, you know, lock my keys in my car where I've got one automation that triggers another that triggers another. And then suddenly there's a problem somewhere in the middle and I don't know. And now my computer is just duplicating files and I don't know how to stop it. So I've tried to keep it all containing keyboard maestro. I do, um, a decent amount of text expansions using it. Um, it's great for that. Like even something as simple as my username at Pixar that you end up typing hundreds of times a day is a keyboard maestro shortcut for me because my last name is not uh, super fun to type out. Um, let's see. I've got the, so the thing, the first thing I wrote when I started at Pixar in keyboard maestro was just one that I called good morning. And one that I called good night, which is, you know, to, uh, start off the day, I have to launch the VPN app, type in my password, wait for a push notification to verify, then start up, you know, Safari so that I can look at my email, then open a remote, window to my avid at work and then you know it was just like 10 different steps and i was like why am i every morning i'm like spending 10 minutes setting everything up and putting windows on the right monitors so i just said you know what i bet i can automate this and sure enough it's pretty great it's now one button uh i just type in my password once the window pops up it waits until i've typed it so you know if i um if i'm sitting if i hit the the button and walk away for coffee and forget to type in my password it's just sitting there waiting until I patiently waiting until I do that. Um, and then good night just kind of does the opposite. It unmounts drives. It disconnects from the VPN. It, you know, closes my email. It goes, okay, have a nice day. What else? Oh, one super, the, the other one that I did right away was I, rather than learning the keyboard shortcuts for muting and unmuting and starting video and stopping video in zoom, I mapped it to F19 on my like Apple keyboard so that I can just quickly unmute with one button click. So did you just mute, you just put the mute button on F19 or did you like make a conflict palette with a bunch of controls for, I Zoom? just did F19 is just mute and unmute yeah. and then command F19. But, uh, one thing I did was I had it, um, like one of the most powerful things I think of, um, keyboard maestro is the ability to go, Hey, actually make sure this window is the foremost window. Cause Sometimes I'm in, you know, Google Docs and I'm in the middle of talk. Like somebody asked me a question as I'm typing in a Google Doc. I want to be able to hit F19 and it doesn't go, oh, well, you hit F19 and you're in a Google Doc. That doesn't really do anything. It just goes, oh, let me activate Zoom and then wait a second until it's active and then hit F19 or and then hit unmute so that you can start talking. Yeah. So there's a couple of features you're using there that people should be aware of. It. One is that you can make app specific um, shortcuts with Keyboard Maestro. So like John could have F19 mute the sound in Zoom, but he could have it do something else in Avid or in his VPN software. And Keyboard Maestro will let you say, you know, when I'm in this app, 
then this this F19 key does this thing, but it doesn't do it if I'm not in this app. But the problem he has, they just explained, is well, what if I want to mute my Zoom audio, but I've got Google Docs in front? So you can add to the shortcut. Just say take the Zoom app and put it in front, and um, and then I, if you're really clever, you would have it hide it or put it in back after you do it. You open it, you put it in front, you uh, you mute your uh, audio, then you put it back. So then you've got your Google Doc back in front of you. Yeah, that's that's the real secret uh, to get it to do that. Is uh, the the problem I kept running into was uh, I tried just doing a wait for like half a second, and then I'd be like, okay, but half a second, I can actually Alt Tab or Command Tab back to the window faster than that because sometimes yeah. it's sometimes it needs half a second, sometimes it it for whatever reason things run slow and it needs a whole second and a half, and I just got tired of changing the wait time every every couple of hours i'd go okay no no, no i yeah. think i've got it it's 4.59 seconds exactly wow <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's also with keyboard maestro ability to say wait until it's in front or something where yeah you can, i think that's what i need to do yeah yeah but i like that you've got it down that way <laughs> <laughs> um one way one other like fun thing i do with keyboard maestro is you know uh there's a lot of as an assistant editor filing things away and uh you know copying things to multiple locations and you know hazel is great for that um when you are just like you know what any document i download to my documents file or my my downloads folder that has a pdf extension put it in my whatever expenses folder yeah. um the tricky part is if you do want to actually see when something drops in that folder and do have an action like I need to import this dialog first before I file it away. Um, or in my case, I'm working. There's another second assistant editor who works with me and a first assistant editor who works with both of us. If new dialog drops, I don't want to be the like, I don't want to have Hazel act on that before a any of us get to act on it. But B, sure. I don't want it to always file it away because sometimes the other assistant editors need to see that. Like they're going to import the dialogue or they're already in the process of importing it. And the last thing I want to do is have it automatically move before they like while they're importing stuff. I just I just had a customer write me a field guide customer that was angry with me because he set up his automation and it put his bill. It filed his bill before he paid it. And then he forgot <laughs> to pay it. And he's like, Dave, you didn't you didn't teach me right. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know I if did. that one's totally on you, but. Uh, whatever. I'll take I'll take the heat. I can handle it. Well, but that's the, very uh, kind of you. Yeah. But so yeah, what I did to solve. That's sol- a problem people have. You know, yeah, you want to so make sure. So what I did to solve this was I just have a couple of, uh, they're now Stream Deck buttons that can open up a series of folders, like, and the tiles them. Uh, like on all four, like a quarter of the window or a quarter of the monitor each and goes here. The first window is where the stuff landed. And then the three other windows are where you're going to need to make a copy or move things to. And uh, it's just super helpful uh, to just have one thing rather than, you know, uh, a lot of the things that I'm dealing with are living on that big server. And um, the file structure has to work for everyone at the studio. So it's not always, the easiest, if you're the assistant editor, you're like, well, why can't we just have, you know, all the dialogue folders that I need right at the root of the server? That'd be super helpful for me. But it's not really helpful for the layout artist that's like, yeah, but John, I never deal with the dialogue folders. Why why, or why do your things get to put it, be put at the root? So now layout wants all their stuff at the root and suddenly everyone's going to want their stuff in the root and that's no way to live. So I set up that um, 
automation in Keyboard Meister just bring them all up. It goes through rather than clicking through six layers deep on a uh, six folders deep on a server. It just brings me straight to those folders. You said it also organize or organizes the windows. It sets the windows up. So are you doing the window management in Keyboard Maestro too? For the most part, um, the only thing that I'm not doing so it it it's in that case. Yes, it is going through Keyboard Maestro. Um, the only other case where I don't do window management through Keyboard Maestro is I use Better Touch Tool to just remap. Um, I use the middle click on my mouse wheel. Yeah. Um, and that is done through Better Touch Tool. And that I just have it so that it middle click moves a window uh, to each one of my monitors. Like it'll jump from monitor to monitor to monitor. And then yeah. what is it? If I hold Command Shift, it'll maximize it. And if I hold, what is it? I have Option do. If, if I hold Option, it'll do, it'll make it 50% of the screen on the right. If I hold Control, it'll do 50% on the left. Nice. Yeah. I, I really think there's something too, like that idea of automating the window management as part of that. Like if you do, if you work with files often and like John, you've got four folders you're working with, with a single set of files and you push a button. Not only does it open those folders, but it arranges them for you in an easy way where every time each folder is in the same place. And that's the real trick because then you get the muscle memory and moving them between the folders is is really easy. And with big screens on even laptops today, that's something totally doable. Yeah, and just visually, it's, you know, I could be making having it go, oh, make a new tab in the Finder and bring up the next one and then have four tabs instead. But it's just visually, it's so much easier for me to see, yes, I dropped it to there, I can close that window. I Yes, I copied it here, I can close that one now. Yeah, It's just the visual cues really help me um, keep track of everything. Yeah, it comes with being a human. You're, <laughs> well, you're with us there. I'm good to hear that I'm still human. Yeah. Um, Congrats. The other one, I think I've, I kind of stole this from Jason Snell. I think he calls it a template gun. But um, basically, I just have one. There's uh, certain naming conventions that we do. Like, So when we have a dialogue recording session, there are you know four or, four or five folders that you have to create, and they all have to have specific naming schemes. And... They're all going to, I know where they're all going to go, but rather than manually creating five new folders every time, I just went, you know what, just create four folders on my desktop, name them like this. Um, and I can even, I set it up so that, you know, it prompts me, it goes, Hey, what is the like number of this session? Like, is it session one, two, 72, whatever. And it will name them all with that correctly. It'll add the date correctly to the one that needs the date put in it. Um, it's really great um, to just kind of set up almost a template like that. The one caution I would give you is uh, don't get caught automating things because it turns out I had uh, one of the the folders has the word files in it and I had accidentally capitalized the I in files in my automation. And so for about six months, it turns out the very kind other second assistant editor had been correcting the capitalization on every single one of my folders. Oh no. <laughs> and hadn't said anything. And she finally said, Hey John, uh, did you automate something to do with this? And I went, yeah, why? And she goes, well, it's been, it's been capitalizing the I in files for the last six months. I fixed it, but uh, you should probably <laughs> know that. <laughs> and I felt so bad, but uh, you it know, happens at the best. She of was us. a good sport about it. Yeah, it, it happens. You just have to tell her, look, I uh, I automate things, so <laughs> oh, don't she, do it for six months oh, next she time. she showed tell me, she's very talented when it comes to automation. She's just double checks everything. 
more yeah. than I do. There you go. <laughs> now, uh, I I said earlier I put a, a pin in Final Cut because you have another side gig you're doing that that you use Final Cut more. Tell everybody your other job in video production. My other fun job is I am the head of the video crew for the UCLA Bruin marching band. Okay. So <laughs> um, how did that happen? So, um, well, David, uh, you were in marching band. Uh, if you had a cymbal player who whose rhythm was a little bit off, uh, wouldn't you suggest to them that maybe they'd be better off holding a camera than uh, playing the loudest instrument in the whole band that is very visual, <laughs> visually obvious when they're not playing correctly? Yeah, if the cymbal player misses the beat, everybody knows. Yeah, there's, <laughs> and like even like even if you're hard of hearing, you know, you see the flash of the symbols. Like they're metal and they reflect a lot of light. You can't miss it if you're off. So somebody's like, well, John, you're in film school, right? <laughs> I wasn't even in film school at the time, believe it or not. They had just seen some photos I had taken and went, hey, you're really good at this. Uh, would you be interested in doing that? They weren't, you know, pushing me off. They just suggested, hey, um, you know. Would you be interested in being on the video crew? Um, I just like to tell that story because I was pretty bad. I was I was in marching band for the fun of it and because of the people, because they are some very uh, amazing people to be around. And it's a very cool experience to get to march in the Rose Bowl. But yeah, so I started um, in I was in the band in 2008 for one year. And then 2009, I started on the video crew and I've been doing it ever since. Um, so we go to every home uh, football game and then one game every year in the Bay area and film the marching band film pregame, uh, halftime and a postgame show. Um, and so we, there's, uh, what right now it's three of us, including myself. Um, we go up into the press box. We set up some cameras up there. We have some cameras on the field. We have some cameras in the end zone and we will just film every single performance. And then I go up to the press box during like after our halftime performance and just copy all the footage to my laptop and uh bring it home and then on usually the monday after start cutting away at uh at it all in final cut 10 yeah and this is where you you stretch your muscles with final cut yeah it's uh it's actually like the the um it's great because final cut 10 is so good at you just hand it a file and it goes great let me import that and you uh, avid is a lot more picky about exactly what files you hand it and how it will handle that media it will create its own new media whereas final cut 10 you can it's not advisable to cut straight h264 video but uh, i was amazed when i put it into my the this 2020 macbook pro that's not even it's not even one of the m1 macbooks it's the older intel ones it is cutting pretty smoothly um, without me making proxy files, without me making ProRes files, uh, I can only imagine how good it will be on an M1. But um, it's kind of amazing just how easy it is to hand that off to it. And then on top of that, the multicam feature in um, Final Cut 10 is just you point it at the files. Like I have external audio. I have five, four or five cameras. I point it all to them. And because all the cameras and audio were hearing the same thing on the field, they just line up perfectly. I don't have to say, okay, like we don't have to slate anything. It just all syncs together perfectly. Yeah. I've used that on a, a couple of different projects and it was amazing to me, not only how easily it synced everything, but then switching between the views was just a, 
just a, a keystroke. And so I could, you know, very quickly splice something up between a couple of different cameras. I was, I was intimidated by that until I did it in Vinyl Cut for the first time. I was like, oh, this is actually really straightforward. And we're heading into the holidays. And, and we've talked about this a few times on the show in the past, but every time I can mention this, I'm going to, because there's a bunch of people listening to the show right now that are about to have holiday parties or holiday family gatherings. And there is more than one iPhone in their control, right? You know, your spouse and you and your kids have iPhones. Um, there's no reason why you couldn't shoot, you know, opening presents or the Santa visit or, you know, whatever your holiday of choice is with those three phones and just drop them in final cut and then magically have like a multi-camera shoot for your home video. And I just think a lot of people listening think that's really hard and it's not. Yeah. It's, it's amazingly easy how easy it is to do. And, um, uh, I would give the other advice, you know, uh, I think I'm sure a lot of your listeners either have an iPad around or an older iPhone set that up, you know, for, if you're opening Christmas presents with the kids, one of you's probably got your, you know, newer iPhone, your iPhone 12, your iPhone 11, your hands, you're filming, set up the other older iPhone just in the corner, just propped up. It's going to be a super wide shot, but you'll have it. Like if you, you know, you drop the phone right as the kid opened the big Christmas present and screamed like crazy, you know what? You'll have it on that wide camera. It won't be as perfect as the like tight, like close up shot that you had in your hand. But if you drop the phone, it's better than the the footage of your phone falling to the floor. Yeah. Now, now talk people through, and I know this is hard on an audio podcast, but if people are are listening thinking, huh, I might want to try that. The first thing you do is you just shoot it with multiple cameras, like John was saying, and definitely have one on a tripod or one propped up on a desk somewhere, you know, from a distance. So you've got that one wide shot, but, but how do they, you need final cut. I mean, you can't do this in iMovie. Um, but what are the steps in Final Cut to the extent we can explain them in an audio podcast? Let's see. I have to. I have to actually. It's one of those weird things where I have to like see myself doing it. Sure, um, it's muscle memory for you, it, right? Yeah, it kind of is. Um, I think it's pretty much just as easy as you. So you import your footage into your project or into your. I think Avid or uh, Final Cut calls them events. You'll bring them all into one event, and then you will. You, the one thing you want to make sure is that you're actually like. You know, if you started and stopped your iPhone a bunch, the clips that you select have to actually have occurred at the same time. You can't, it won't sync something that like you film, like if you filmed with one iPhone, you can't sync two of those clips together for obvious reasons. And that's another reason why you want the iPad in the corner because you've got like the establishing audio for the whole thing. Yeah. So, but you'd like select the iPad video, select one of the iPhone videos. Um, You'll, I, you'd hold command so that you can select two things in the window. And then I think it's as simple as right click and I think it's make multicam clip, create multicam clip, something along those lines. And it'll bring a little drop down and it'll say, great. Um, do you want, uh, you know, should we sync these by audio, by endpoint, by whatever? And you can just say audio. And it, as long as it was hearing the same thing from both cameras, then it'll line up perfectly. I think there are a couple of other options as to like what kind of media you'd like to make, whether it's what quality of ProRes and whatnot. But yeah, it's really just as simple as, yeah, here are the two clips, sync these for me, and you hit OK and give it a minute to churn. It'll figure it out really quickly, like astonishingly quickly. Like this is the sort of thing that on a uh, professional film shoot, the assistant editor is responsible for. We usually record 
external audio uh, on like boom microphones and things like that. And sometimes camera audio, but a lot of times no camera audio. And so we, you know, you see that guy with the slate clapping, you know, to start a take. We have to go find that exact frame where he does that. And then we line it up with the audio as to where we hear the clap. That is part of the assistant editor's job. And Final Cut 10 makes it super easy for you to just go, oh, yeah, it's right there. We already took care of that. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there just is no step two. You select it and you right click and say sync, you know. And then once you've done that, explain how hard or how easy it is to choose between the shots. It's literally there's keyboard shortcuts for it. So you can like play it in real time. Like you can just hit play on your uh, laptop and watch as it's going. And there's a view where you can see like if you have four cameras, you say show all four at the same time and you'll hit. I can't remember what the key command is, but like let's say it's just one, two, three, four for the four cameras. You hit play. And then when you want to switch to camera two, you hit number two. You want to switch to camera three, you hit number three. And then later you can go back and like slide them back and forth or Uh, I think there's also the option to just right click on the track and say, you know what? Switch this one to camera two. switch this one to camera three. Um, One of my favorite things about that, like for split view is it's really easy to tell, you know, if there's a moment where one of you bumped one of the cameras and you need to cut around it, you'll see with that four up view, you can see what all the other cameras were doing. So you can be like, you know what? Right now it would be perfect to cut to camera one actually, because it's got the perfect cover for that camera bump. Like it is the perfect shot to cover up that camera bump. Um, and yeah, it's just super easy to see all four options at once. Like, you know, uh, when you're showing a director or whoever it is, like the, I show these to the band director and he goes, Oh, do we have, you know, what, what's the other camera seeing right now? I can just show him. Here's what all four cameras were seeing at this moment in the show. That's really nice. And just to show uh, the results of one of these, we're going to put a link in the show notes for one of John's edits for the UCLA Marching Band playing a BTS suite. Yeah. I, I didn't know who BTS was when you told me about this because I am apparently out of it. Steven, do you know who BTS is? Real quick. Come on. You know, right? You I mean, only all their by records. the name. This yeah. is, the, you know, I'm not cool enough. Or it's young okay. enough. I'm not cool enough either. It's a Korean super band. Like, it's like, they're the band that everybody wants to play with. They're like global. And uh, I I mentioned to my daughter who's at UCLA, she's like, oh yeah. She said more people went to that football game than any other football game because the army was there. And then I'm like, well, who's the army? Well, apparently BTS fans are called the army. So, and I've got to say those BTS fans are some of the nicest, like the comments we got on our video, the people on Twitter, everyone was so amazingly nice about it. Like they were so excited and like, can you believe it? They did a show. And we're like, guys, like, thank you. But we just did a show. We were, we just thought it'd be fun. Yeah. Well, that, it is cool. And, um, but I, why are they called the army if they're so nice though? I mean, you don't, I don't know. It doesn't make sense, but, but either way, that was cool. Uh, so that's a multi-camera shot, uh, that, that John did. And I, you know, I, I know I keep banging the drum, but if holidays are coming gang, if you've got more than one iPhone and you've got final cut, which is not, you know, it's 300 bucks. It's not cheap, but you know, you could make some really amazing videos this year. And it, it's not cheap, but uh, remember what it came out in what, like 2011 it, they've never charged an upgrade for that. Yeah, yeah. And it, I used that first version and I've used this version they are almost two different apps. The amount of things they've added, they seem to really be listening to what people want to do with this um, and adding features like multicam was not in the first version. 
Um, but, and I think that's part of why it, you know, a lot of editors went, well, I can't take this seriously. It doesn't have multicam. Well, sometimes that's where I've kind of learned to trust. Sometimes Apple takes a little while to figure something out and, you know, they're not fools. They know they, they heard about the keyboards. The second people started complaining about them just because it took them a while to fix them. doesn't mean that they were just completely ignoring us and being like, ha, we'll make you use these bad keyboards. I don't really think that's the type of people that work at Apple. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And everybody I met at Apple confirms that. Um, the, um, the other thing is I really believe that this professional group, and we mentioned Michael Johnson earlier in the show, but he, I know he's one, but they have professional musicians, artists, photographers that are like work for Apple and their job is to use the pro level services, software and hardware and tell the Apple engineers where they don't work. And I don't know when that got started. The first time I heard about it was when they had that pro Mac event, you know, four or five years ago. Yeah. I think that was the first time I heard about it either. But I mean, boy, what a great idea. And I hope that they really are listening to those people. But it seems like they are based on like, look at the new MacBook Pro. I feel like a lot of those ports and changes they've made are probably a result of working with actual pro creators every day. I have to imagine. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace has everything you need. They combine cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and to make your ideas a reality. Squarespace comes with everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and then use drag and drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the colors, the typefaces, settings, products you have on sale. Everything is just a few clicks away. And of course, all your work is automatically optimized for mobile devices. So your content looks great no matter who's looking at it or where they're looking at it. You also get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. You can use Squarespace not only to turn your next big idea into a website, but you can showcase your work with incredible portfolio pages, publish a blog or a podcast, promote your business, announce events, and much, much more. Anytime I have a special project, I always look to Squarespace for the website. Just over the last few months, I've built a couple of different Squarespace sites, one uh, for another podcast of mine connected, and right now for the uh, Give Relay FM campaign. Single page Squarespace site. It took me very little time to get up and running, and I think it looks pretty good. So head on over to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Mac Power users and all of RelayFM. John, we always like to end the show with guests uh, talking about some of your favorite apps and services you know, people out there listening quite often, you know, like to hear about something new they may not know about that helps make their life easier. You got any tricks to share with us? Sure, of course. Um, let's see. Um, so one app that I absolutely could not live without would be To Do, which uh, is, is the numeral two and then D-O. 
Um, it is just a task management app. It's uh, probably it's it's fairly similar to OmniFocus. Um, I think it does a few things less than OmniFocus, but um, it's this incredible app that one guy has written for iOS, iPadOS, macOS, and Android. He's written it, and it's native to each of those. Um, he's not using some kind of you know library that's cross-platform. Um, it it has been rock solid for me. I've been using it. I don't know since. I was in college when I discovered it and uh, it is, it's got so many little hidden nooks and crannies that suddenly you like, I just discovered you could uh, like add a task and then add an audio recording to it. I don't know why I'd need to, but I could, if I wanted to um, it's, I think it's, it's somewhere around like $10 or something. Um, it's a one-time purchase. There's no subscription. It syncs through a bunch of different things like toodle do, um, I think there's a web dev. There's a, you can sync through iCloud. I think Dropbox. Um, I was a little worried, honestly, uh, that he might have abandoned it at a certain point because uh, it, it doesn't unfortunately have dark mode and it doesn't have widgets yet, but uh, he just posted on his blog, uh, maybe like a week or two ago that he's still working on the update. He's just had a really busy life over the past year. So I'm really, really thankful that he's still developing it. Cause I was starting to get nervous and I was looking, Hmm, well, maybe I should start looking at things and uh, OmniFocus and see where I'm going to switch. But I'm really glad that I'm going to be able to keep using ToDo. Boy, I'm so happy there are so many options for task management. I remember like a long time ago on the Mac, there were like no options. And now there's just like abundance of riches. Yeah, it's uh, we live in quite an amazing age, don't we? Yeah. Um, what else? So a couple of things that I thought uh, because of the weird field I work in, um, there's some like very specific tools that don't get talked a lot about, um, on, you know, a lot of other podcasts. One is media info. It's this just really, really geeky technical tool that just, you can drop any kind of media file into it, uh, on your Mac and it will show you all the details about what codec it is, what color space it's in, what the frame rate is like even more information than you're going to get out of QuickTime um, using the info panel. Um, it works for photos. It works for music. It works for video. Um, it works for obscure video files that wouldn't play in QuickTime. Um, it is super helpful to try and figure out the, the I have a file that dot, ends in .mov. What is inside that file? That's a really cool app, and I've never heard of this before. But, I mean, it, it does one thing, and if you've got video or media files you want met, like serious metadata on, I'm just yeah. looking at the screenshots. This is crazy, right? It's uh, there's a lot of info in each of those files that's just metadata that you know you rip a movie from a Blu-ray and you'll go, all this information's in there on top of the movie itself. Wow, this is kind of nuts. Okay, I'm downloading this one right now. <laughs> Great. Um, another one is uh, I think I don't know how it's pronounced. I think it's I I N A. Um, but it is basically just uh, like VLC. It'll basically play anything you throw at it except it it looks like it's designed for the mac a little more than vlc like i love vlc i think they're trying to make a interface that works across you know it works on linux it works on i think there's an android version there's a pc version so it's got to have some consistency whereas i ina kind of takes the core i think of vlc and goes hey what if we make it look like a mac app like truly a mac app so i just like that because it just looks nicer yeah, and it has like picture and picture and touch bar support. It yeah. looks like a Mac app, but it also 
has all those Mac OS features that VLC doesn't necessarily get on board with. And if I recall correctly, it's free on top of everything. So that's super great. Uh, another one, another app I love is Easy Find. I think it's by the guys who make Devin Th- or the yeah. folks that make Devin Think. Um, and it just, uh, you know, Spotlight is great for searching your internal Mac hard drive. But, uh, you know, if you have a, a network drive that doesn't get indexed by Spotlight, this will search that. Um, if you have a drive that you're like, you know what, I don't want Spotlight constantly indexing my drive with all my, you know, uh, Final Cut projects. Um, but I do need to search through it every once in a while. You can search with Easy Find. It's got, I think you can do like even regex searches. Uh, in it you can search by comments you can say like oh it's or i guess they're now called tags um you can search through tags and be like find anything tagged with the color yellow find anything with the tag work find anything with um that and it's all on drives so like it's great for us because avid media drives don't get uh indexed by spotlight so um this makes it so much easier to just find something on that drive if you need to so you've been doing marching band videos for 13 years. So are you keeping all of that video? I mean, are you keeping the source video as well? Or um, The marching band has yeah. copies of the first. Uh, I've only been editing. Like I started out editing a bunch of. They just started this video project around the time I was there. Like they had been filming, but they hadn't been editing everything back in the yeah. day. So in the first couple of years, I was helping them kind of get through their backlog. And they were keeping all the files. And then. For, you know, five or six years in the middle, the band uh, marching band director was taking care of all the editing and he just retired. So I have been uh, tasked with dealing with it. And so I am actually just for now, they are going to keep the master files. And I am I have a copy of the master files for this season. But once the season is over, once everything's edited, they're going to keep the copies of all the master files on their end. And I will probably keep just the final version of the video. Yeah. So like for digital hoarders, like this easy find, or if you're, or if you're storing master video files for the UCLA marching band, I mean, anything where you're going to put massive amounts of data, that's not going to fit on your internal drive. That's where easy find kind of steps up. It is excellent for that. Um, My last uh, thing that I would really suggest is uh, this fun little app called weekend read for iOS. Um, It's if you read a lot or if you've ever looked at a script, it's, great like scripts are designed in a very particular way to make them easy to read they're nice and spaced out and they look great on a piece of paper when you're looking at them on an iphone especially if they're a pdf you're doing a lot of pinching to zoom because the layout is you know you've got in the center of the dialogue but then you know left justified is the scene description and so you're like okay i gotta zoom in to see the the dialogue and then zoom out so that i can read the scene description this app is kind of like uh, Safari reader mode for a script. It takes the PDF and goes, oh, let me just make this formatted a little easier for you to read on a smaller iPhone screen. Um, it's probably a pretty particular app for you to be reading scripts on your phone. But if you are someone who does read scripts on your phone, it is invaluable. Yeah, I, that sounds like a good one. Uh, when, when we were talking and you had added to the outline a couple of random tips, you know, based on the work you do, you've come up with to get a little bit more out of your Mac. I thought um, some of them were really useful. One of them in particular, I thought was a great idea is is for someone who works a lot with VNC where and that's what you do, John. I mean, you're logged mm-hmm. into the Pixar machine. So you've got your machine when it's in like Pixar mode, talking to the little trash can the lonely trash can in your, in your office (laughs) or when it's uh, you know, when it's just your Mac and it's not doing VNC, you came up with a really good solution for that. 
Yeah, it was uh, it was not intentional the solution, but it's just uh, make your like if you want to make your you know personal or like your laptop environment in dark, leave it in dark mode, and then put your remote machine in light mode or vice versa. Um, it just so happened that you know I immediately as soon as I got this MacBook turned on dark mode, and then I remoted it into my Avid machine, and it was on light mode, and I went, oh, this is super easy. I can tell when I open a new Finder window, and I'm it like it lays the finder window on top of VNC. I can see, Oh, well it's in dark mode. So that's my local machine. It quickly tells me the other one that it helps a lot with is spotlight. You know, sometimes I activate spotlight and I think I'm activating it on the VNC machine, but actually it's on my laptop and just seeing, Oh, it's in light mode or dark mode tells me immediately which computer I'm interacting with. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And that could also work. Um, even if you're not doing VNC, but like using your work for personal versus work or oh, yeah. know, anytime you just want to make it very clear what mode you're in. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always talking contextual computing, but I, I really feel like that's just one more visual cue to your brain to say, what am I doing now? And that's what I should be working on, not something else. So I, I like that idea. And then as a, a video editor, give us some tips on file naming. You know, I'm sure that's a challenge for you. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing I, I came up with was uh, just name things like consistency is key, but you got to pick a consistency that you will actually use. So, you know, uh, it's great if you come up with a, a key of, you know, I'm going to always call the files this, but a, if you're not following your key, then it's not super great, but uh, really it came out more out of, uh, my personal to-do list. You know, I, uh, I have ADD. So, um, a lot of times I need to, uh, the second I think of something, I have to put it in my to-do list or it will, I will remember it someday later, but it may be too late by that point. So I have to put it in. Um, and then I spend a lot of time, uh, you know, with ADD, a lot of thoughts come into your head and leave very quickly. So, um, Sometimes I need to remember, did I already write a, a make a to do like a, a reminder for this? And I found myself, you know, being like, OK, um, I need to reformat my MacBook's hard drive. OK, I wrote it to do and set that for, you know, this weekend. And then like, you know, the next day I go, oh, yeah, that's right. I need to reformat my Mac's hard drive. But then I would create a new to do that would say relabel or reformat laptop hard drive. And so. I would be creating all these like du- essentially duplicates, but not quite. So I determined, you know what? I'm always going to write MacBook when I'm talking about my MacBook. That way I can just search through my to-do list and be like, did I already add that? Or did I, you know, bills, everything that I need to like pay at some point is a bit, it has the word bill in my to-do app because that way it's easy to just search bill and be like, oh yeah, I did remember to add my whatever new utility bill or Sure. I even I my rent I wrote as rent bill because even though it's not like quite a bill it's it's going to show up in that list every time. Yeah, it just like intentionality with all this stuff makes such a difference. Mhm. I am um, so my my friend Merlin Mann years ago gave a speech at Pixar and he was telling me that of all the places he ever spoke at that that was perhaps the most impressive he said because everybody there was like pulling in the same direction. He said, even the guy who empties the trash cans seemed like he was there to make great movies. And um, so I've always been eager to have someone from Pixar come in. I really appreciate you taking the time, John, to come in and kind of share a bit of, of how you get your work done today. 
Oh, thank you so much. It's, uh, I honestly, when you reached out to me, when first Liana reached out to me and said, hey, I, have you ever heard of this guy named David Sparks? I said, David Sparks? Of course I've heard of him. <laughs> um, and then uh, she said, would you be interested in being on the show? And I, you know, you mentioned Merlin. Merlin is like one of my idols. Like I, one of the first things we have, you know, uh, an internal video site at Pixar where you can see old talks people have given. The first one I watched was Merlin's talk. Um, I was... I, some people might say I even got this job just so I could see Merlin's talk that he gave. Um, <laughs> That's great. That's great. But I'm also sure he'd love when to hear that. you said, Hey, would you like to be on the show? A, you know, I broke out into a cold sweat going, I can't be on the same show. Merlin man was on. I don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about, but, um, you guys have been so great. Um, it's really an honor to get to talk to you both. It's been so much fun to hear about your work and how you know, this place that we all love and love the work that comes out of it. Getting a a peek behind the curtain has been a lot of fun. So thank you. Well, thank you guys. And yeah, it really is. It, it's a wonderful place to work. I highly recommend it if you can get the job. Well, and, and John, you do have some social media presence. You're uh, at Solomander, S-O-L-I-M-A-N-D-E-R on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Blame my parents for the difficult to say last name. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Do not ask John about... His movies and stuff. My goal, we've made 618 episodes. I've never got a guest fired, and I'm not going to start today. So, you know, we didn't ask John about the details of this great thing he's working on. So don't bother him on social media about that, gang. But uh, but if people have, you know, marching band questions, I'm happy to do my best to answer. If they have keyboard maestro questions, I'm happy to do my best to answer. I, or if they just want a, a friend to talk to. Or maybe you're a symphony and you need a new cymbal player. You might want to uh, reach out to John. Mm, mm, I can find you a better symbol player. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. I want to thank our sponsors today. That's 1Password, Memberful, Electric, and Squarespace. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>